This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to the uh, latest edition of Analyzing Everton, your tactics and analytics podcast courtesy of the Royal Blue channel. My name's David Hughes and I am joined with, joined by I should say, Josh Williams. Um, Josh, did I ask how are you? <laughs> Good as always, mate. Yeah, I know. I keep wanting to think of something a bit more original, but I oh. can't. So for now, it'll just have to be asking how you are. I uh, keep wanting to come in sad, but I just can't. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sad anyway. Uh, yeah, difficult. We're, we're recording on Wednesday, um, and yesterday was the Newcastle <laughs> results. The morning after the night before. Yeah, literally, yeah. My call the podcast that this week, actually. But um, really difficult pill to swallow, drawing to all with Newcastle after leading 2-0. We will come on to that, but not yet. We'll quickly have a glance over West Ham. I say glance because it was it was a bit of a nothing game, really. It was kind of how we expected. Um, and it already feels a little while ago, even though it was only on Saturday. Um, then we'll get on to Newcastle. And then there's a few questions from listeners that we'll address at the end of the show. But we'll... We'll start with West Ham, which turned out to be a fairly even and close game. And it's fair to say that's pretty much what we, we predicted, wasn't it, last week? Yeah, it's what I expected personally. Uh, I think I actually said 1-1. One, one. Yeah, um, did, yeah. And Actually, yeah, I think you did, to be fair. You've got you've got your 2 out of 2 today on 2 out of 2 this weekend. Yeah, well done, yeah. Uh, Shane walked the betting like. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think... David Moyes went into the match uh, with a degree of a little bit risk averse, a mm. little bit safe, and maybe Everton played similarly. Mm. Uh, obviously, Moyes extends his record over Ancelotti, which oh, we said last yeah. week, which is a bit mad. I believe that. But yeah, I think both teams a little bit too concerned about making mistakes and focused on basically playing safe. And I think the expected goals catches that. I'm sure you'll. Yeah, mentioned that now. Definitely, yeah. Uh, obviously, it was a one-all draw. Uh, expect the goals had it as a 1.6 for Everton and 1.34 for West Ham. Or oh, was that the other way around? Actually, no, no, it wasn't. Ignore me. Um, either way, though, that's it. That the highlights that both teams created really a, a similar amount of quality chances. I say, I guess you could put it um, separated what, by by very little there. Yeah, really. exactly that. Yeah, so there was. Very little between the two um, in terms of chances created. Um, West Ham actually had more shots than Everton. They had 14 with six going on target. Everton had 10 with three on target. Um, Very similar possession numbers, almost 50-50. Yeah, it was just a pretty even game, I thought. West Ham were arguably the better side in the first half and Everton came into it in the second, no doubt after a bit of a... um, a telling off, I suppose, from Ancelotti. But it wasn't the, the greatest performance um, by either side. And I think it's fair to say that the one-all draw was fair on the day. Um, I actually thought that Everton, particularly in the first half, were given a lot of the ball by West Ham and probably could have could have done a little bit more. But as Ancelotti talked about after the game, they were really slow in possession. Um, it's funny if you look at the expected goals timeline have you seen it? go on talk us through it it's almost identical for either team Mm. Um, the first half and I was virtually dead yeah both teams have a fairly strong chance then there's about 10 minutes then then both teams have another fairly strong chance Mm. then a few small chances follow so it was almost like one team does something the other team would respond then the other team would do something then the other team would respond and it was very much like weighing up how you perform almost based on what the opposition was doing for both teams as you know playing that safety and who blinks first sort of thing mm. no the best way to describe it is probably two reactive sides playing yeah, each other yeah I'd say that yeah um, and as I said I was kind of hoping Everton would have a little bit more but I also wasn't surprised that they didn't um, West Ham seemed happy to just concede possession uh, and with Everton not being able to break them down too well either, it, it kind of just set up for the game that we saw. Um, it was slightly frustrating that he conceded from a set piece again, though. 
it was a free kick um, and it was it's just continuing theme of not, just not being great from set pieces luckily this time Everton managed to bounce back fairly quick thanks to Calvert-Lewin I think it was important to get a response before half time but fair play to Calvert-Lewin again he's we talked about him a little bit on the show but he's he's popping up with goals do you think the, um, the set piece that Everton scored from was planned? Um, Obviously, the, it, the corners hit towards the near post, isn't it? And it's headed on to Calvert-Lewin so at the back post. Calvert-Lewin finishes. I think they are getting better with the set pieces. It just looked a little bit... Um, I mean, Calvert-Lewin's timing was almost too perfect for it not to be planned. Yeah, so... I'm, you remember it? Yeah, I'm just bringing the goal up now. Because um, let's see the movements within. So, yeah, we've got Dean over it now. It's just the way it's knocked on and Calvert-Lewin's time is perfect. But, uh, I don't want to take nothing away from them. Yeah, no, actually, that's a good point that I'm watching it now. If you look at Holgate, he's standing on the goalkeeper prior to the corner coming in. And then... And, uh, the way he knocks it on, though, he's definitely not aiming for the target. No, he's he not, no, yeah. And then look where he steps. So he comes to the edge of the six-yard box before... Is that Declan Rice he comes in front of? It's just coming in now. So it looks as if he makes a... Almost a short diagonal run right in front of Rice. Gets a flick on and Calvert-Lewin attack. Yeah, you know what? I completely missed that. No, I like to think normally I'm on the... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on Everton's set pieces, but yeah, that looks like something off the training ground. Good goal. Um, fair play because it's something I've been applauding Liverpool for recently in their set pieces, and that looks to be a good little piece of play by Everton. Um it's nice to see, actually, isn't it? Those well, so, yeah, it's obviously, routines. obviously encouraging taking care of the 1% and things like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you're going to concede at your end, then, you know, at least be able to do the same at the opposite end. You know what I mean? But in all, it was uh, it was kind of what we expected. It, it was the, it was a game that you you, you didn't want to lose. You know, it was a, bit of a, a game where no team was really taking the initiative. It was in the balance. So it was important to at very least not lose the game. They didn't. They got a draw on them. All things considered, it was fair. Um, but as I said, after that, Ancelotti made some really interesting comments that I just want to touch on now. Um, he said, this was after the game, at this moment, we are not playing vertical. We were playing a lot of balls back instead of playing forwards. And that is how we can improve. We can play more vertically. We want to build up. But when you have the possibility to play forward, you must play forwards and do it quick. If you are slow at the back, you have less possibility to find space in the opponent's half, and that is something we have to improve. Um, I was watching the West Ham game, and I, I, I could see it straight away in the first half that they were just sl- too slow in build-up. But that's encouraging that Ancelotti is almost calling the players out there. Uh, it wouldn't even be encouraging for me from that perspective. What's encouraging for me is that he's, he's picked up on that as something he needs to work on. I think that's a really, really positive quote, that... Mm. Um, because I do, I do think that Everton's squad is suited to that type of football, vertical football. I don't think it's entirely suited to slow possession play where you're breaking down a team with subtle, long, intricate moves. I yeah, think I Everton agree. are more suited to combination play and stuff. It doesn't really yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. I think Everton are more suited to you know quick one twos, play forwards as soon as you can. Um, you could, I suppose you could label it as direct, but without it being direct on the floor. Yeah, you see yeah. what I mean, which is obviously what you want. Yeah, I um, agree. But I think, I think Ancelotti's just referencing there how it can be. It can almost be too predictable when you're that when you're that slow. It's quite easy to defend against. Obviously, the idea when you're attacking a defensive team is to disrupt them. You know, disrupt the shape, create openings and things like that. And that's going to be difficult to do if they're in a stubborn block and you're moving the ball from side to side slowly. So. I think they're definitely positive um, comments. Mm. I like the comments, and I think we saw, I think we saw gains the following games. To be honest, the following match yeah. against the Newcastle. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll move on to Newcastle because um, I thought it did seem to work, or players seemed to take note of, or they've been doing some work on the training ground between the two games. Because I was, if I'm being honest, Josh, b- before this game, I was a little bit apprehensive, not because. Uh, I particularly rate Newcastle and think they're fantastic as a side, but they're one of the sides that we cover regularly, aren't we? And we know that they're 
a side that tend to do well in terms of sitting in low blocks. You know, they don't have much ambition in terms of going forward. And on that basis, they can be hard to break down. And if you're a side who is slow in your build-up play, not doesn't don't play enough forward passes, those two together normally plays out in a frustrating game. Yeah, no, I was equally as apprehensive as you was. Um, just as you not 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 because you know Slate Everton or anything like that, but just a case of Newcastle is a type of team that are fully aware that they're limited. Mm. And they play to that. Mm. And it's not the most adventurous. It's not the most exciting to watch. Mm. But to play against, it's not easy. It's, no. it's, it's not enjoyable to play against, especially if you don't have those creative types in and around the pitch who are just naturally inclined to, to forge openings. And they've got that vision, they've got that technique to execute a pass that the average player wouldn't be able to. And I don't know, I just envisioned it being a potentially the type of opponent that Everton would struggle against, but obviously with the, the slight style of play change that seemed to happen, mm. uh, that, was, that wasn't the case. Yeah, yeah. So before we get on to obviously what happened at the end, we just talk about the performance on, on the whole, um, because that's something obviously we said in the very first episode, it's what we like to focus on. It's too often, I think, um, results can kind of shape narratives, but... We try to look beyond the results, and on the whole, it was a—I mean, it was a, a dominant performance by Everton from start until I'd say finish, but we'll say the ninety-first minute. Um, the they did really well in breaking through Newcastle. Um, the XG finished two point zero six for Everton to point six for Newcastle, but it is worth noting that up until stoppage time, it was just point. 1-1, one, one, which is virtually no threat from the visitors. Um, that's one shot, really, isn't it? Yeah. That's one shot inside the penalty box, maybe, or to the edge of the penalty box. Exactly, which if, you, if you're limiting a team to that, then you've you've been almost foolless. Yeah. So, at Premier League level, at least. Um, yeah, Everton, 15 shots, 8 on target. Um, Newcastle had 8 with 4 on target, but I think 5 of them come in after the 86th minute, after I think it was. After the 86th minute. Um, so, yeah, it was just a, a, a really dominant performance. Um, I thought Bernard had a fantastic game. I noticed Everton seemed to be attacking in almost a 4-2-2-2 formation, which saw Bernard and Walcott tucking in. Um, from there, you'd have the full-backs pushing on. But it just seemed that those two w- were able to occupy the spaces in between the defence and midfield and they were picking up the ball a lot particularly Bernard more than Walcott Bernard was picking the ball up in really good positions and making things happening and obviously it was him who assisted Keane for the first goal um, so I thought for, formation wise tactics wise Everton got spot on yeah I think that's that was a perfect example for me of, of what Ancelotti's about it's, it's not strictly about one philosophy or one style of play or, or whatever it's more about what have I got at my disposal what are their strengths, weaknesses, and play based on that. Mm. And I think the formation certainly highlighted Everton's strengths and pretty much masked the weaknesses. Yeah. Um, obviously, yeah. offensive fullbacks, uh, basic central midfielders that are fairly limited, so you just give them quite a disciplined role. Wide midfielders that are inclined to cut inside, and then obviously a front two that are quite bit of a handful really yeah. Um, and I think Everton just played to that I, I, I picked up on what you said there about Bernard you know different inside allowing Digne to advance beyond them almost as a left winger mm. and then once Digne gets to that point Bernard cuts inside as number 10 and offers a link between the midfield and the attack mm. um, obviously between Everton's two centre midfielders and between Everton's two strikers so it was just a system that worked every player was able to play his own way and it seemed you know I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Everton don't really have many players that that are able to complement one another. Mm. This seemed to be a performance that suggested otherwise for mm. the first time in I think in a while. I think a lot of players just seem to play their natural game, and it it all just worked in cohesion. Yeah. Um, and it's the first time I've seen that in a while at Everton. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's uh, it gives you more food for thought in terms of Bernard, doesn't it? Because we, I think we've agreed that we like Bernard, um, but it's just his 
sometimes the lack of general output in terms of goals and assists that can be a bit of a problem. But I was going to say you, you you say that, but an, an output player it, it doesn't necessarily just have to be goals and assists. And he was a player who I don't think he registered an assist in the game. Is that right? Did yeah, he? What yesterday? Yeah, that he puts Keynes in. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. E- even if he doesn't, um, his passes into the box. I had a little look at. He generally tends to average about 3.97 passes into the box per 90. Mm. Uh, against Newcastle, he attempted 10. So obviously that's trebling his usual output. Mm. So it's not necessarily... I mean, mostly I suppose it is finding the net or providing a goal-scoring chance, but if you're finding the box that much more, then you're offering an entirely different element to the team rather mm. than just playing neatly and in a tidy way, which is, you wouldn't doubt. It's just whether... He's providing a difference on the pitch, but if you're finding the penalty box, well, if you're attempting to find the penalty box ten times, you're offering some kind of penalties of threat there. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, he, um, if this Bernard I played yesterday um, could play at that level consistently, then I think he'd be a shoe in for the starter, um, and it'd be a case of trying to find spaces for the likes of. I say Richarlison can kind of play anywhere, so you'd probably move him. But Awobi would be struggling for game time, I think, if he wants to play him on the left. Because when Bernard's playing like that, he's fantastic. But as you just touched on, what's his, his average was around just over three passes into the box per 90. His average attempted, yeah, per 90 was 3.97. So, obviously um, it was 10 yesterday, which is great, but on average that's not that great. And then if, you, if you're also not contributing much in terms of goals and assists, then... It does become a slight issue. Um, yeah. And that's what we're finding with him. Yeah, I mean, Ancelotti's comments, I think... Did, did you read the end of his, of his comments? I the very, very end? I think I might still have it open. Um, I'll just read it out. I, li- I like the very end of what he said. He said, Sometimes when you say to a player that we want possession, they think possession is the target. The target is not possession. The target is always to score goals. Exactly. That's mm. exactly that. And that's my problem with Bernard. Sometimes... Keeps the ball. It's it's obviously very very clean player. Mm. The ball's under control. Um, always, you know, first touches immaculate and things like that. But I remember Pep Guardiola said about Raheem Sterling that you know when he came in and he started taking charge of Raheem Sterling, he had to remind him that like every action he did, the goal is there though. Yeah, Do you know what I mean, he, yeah, he it's a really good point. The, the, the people, players tend to play, yeah. and they play nicely. They play good football, mm. but. How's that relating in terms of providing a difference towards finding that net? Because that's the overall goal in football to score goals to find the net. So some players just need reminding. I think that, yeah. that, that, that that's the case. I'd like Wilfred Zaha sometimes to be reminded of that. Yeah. Um, Bernard's another player like that. Um, yeah. And I just I, I, that's another reason why I thought that quote from Angelotti was really really encouraging because obviously he's not interested in in the nonsense if you like. I mean, mm. probably a bit harsh to call it nonsense, but. You do want the output, you do want the end product at the end of the day. Yeah, it's a it's a really good point. That's it. And I think what we've just talked about there is sometimes anyway, Bernard in a nutshell. Okay, he's put some good performances together recently. Hopefully he continues, but um that's it. He, even on his quiet games, he'll still give you little moments of touches in in and around the pitch or, you know, out wide, but as you said, doesn't necessarily translate into chances or even in creating chances, and hopefully that's gonna that's gonna start changing um, and maybe drifting more into a central position can work. Obviously, he's quite lightweight, but I think if you have physicality around him, then you can you can balance those lightweight players in your team, can't you? Yeah, yeah. There was, there was just several times where he he received the ball in between the lines mm-hmm. with his first touch, and his second touch was look up forwards who's through, who can I find closer to goal, mm. that sort of thing. And I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks ago, would he have thought immediately, where's the goal? Yeah. Or would he have played sideways to Sadibi? You yeah. Know, something like that. So, Or I'll beat this man once or twice again and I've done my bit. You don't know. Do yeah, you? it's just about, you know, having that possession and, and making sure it matters and making sure you're using it rather than just keeping the ball for keeping balls safe. Well, uh, rather than finishing on the negatives, we'll just touch on them now because it'd be better to finish on positives because, as I said, I, I think when the dust settles, it will be seen as a good performance, even if it is two points dropped. Um, just 
the, what are your thoughts, Josh, on the final few minutes in general? Have you got any? Do you want me to go first? What What are you thinking? From I, th- I mean, I couldn't get my head around, to be honest. I, I didn't know. I don't really know what happened. I can't really explain that one. You can put it down to mentality or you like. You can put it down to, you know, knowing how to win, mm-hmm. switching off. I don't know what it is. I, it was a weird sequence. And it, it, it seemed as though once Everton conceded the first... It seemed as though, up until the set piece was, up until the following set piece was conceded, it seemed as though Everton players thought the match was over. Mm. Hence, why Delft just booted it into the sky. Maybe I mm. think he expected the referee to blow, yeah, or something like that. But you know, it was a weird, weird sequence of play. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was mayhem. And one, one I will th- say is there's been a lot of talk about um, Ancelotti's substitutions and how they were wrong and, you know, if certain players were still... Uh, one of the questions that we might not get round to today, um, I do apologise because it's from a guy who uh, regularly uh, sacks Mingo. Um, this kind of covers your question a little bit. Um, but there's been talk of people saying, you know, if X player was still on the pitch, if there's more outlets, you know, that wouldn't have happened. In my opinion, that was... A perfect performance, almost for ninety-one minutes. You know, it wasn't. I would, as if, ag- I would agree. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't as if Newcastle came on and battered Everton for the last fifteen, twenty minutes, and they needed outlets in possession or this and that. It was a bit of a fluke first goal conceded that you can say your bit on in a bit, but I thought it was just a a goal that you conceded, unfortunate goal. Yet yeah, another set piece, yeah, frustrating, but two-one. Nothing to worry about, just relax and you've got about a, a minute of the game with added time and added time, just see it out. The minute, though, that the players lined up for the um, restart, I could see the panic. There was a complete disorganisation in the in where they were. The, for me, they seemed like they were pushing up a little bit too high. They had Delft dropped really low and... I was thinking, surely you're not just going to hoof this ball when you receive it. In my opinion, you should have received it into feet, turned, played it into Pickford's feet, let Newcastle press the ball, and then once the press comes close, cleared it up the line then and aimed to just put it out um, for a throw right out in the Newcastle half. You know, Pickford does that week in, week out when he's not even trying, so <laughs> should there be no issues with that? Because that kills maybe 30 seconds of the game. And then Newcastle from their own half have got to try and work themselves back towards the Everton goal. Instead, we give the ball straight back to Newcastle and it leads to a foul. And the, the, just complete disorganisation from the foul. The ball comes in, Pickford comes, then leaves. Um, a head is missed by Davis in there. It's just a mess. Um, but one thing I will say is, I don't actually blame Pickford for the being behind the line thing. No, I mean I saw the obviously the still photos mm. of that on Which Twitter don't and look things good. like that. No, yeah. they don't look, don't look great at all. But I do think he anticipates a shot coming, and rightly so because a shot is coming, mm. um, and consequently ends up behind the line because of the way that shot pans out or something like mm. that. Um, I think you can have slight issue with the first goal. Or, um, I agree. He should have came for the cross, I think it was. Hmm. Uh, but his punch isn't convincing enough. For the first goal, this, yeah. For the first goal, yeah. yeah. His punch isn't convincing enough. It's, it's not... Didn't have enough authority on it for me. Obviously, it stayed within the penalty box. And it comes right back and it ends up being scored. Um, and I, d- I do think... I must be honest, I do think that... You know, last week you asked me about Pickford, I think. And I said that he's a type of player who... He embraces the, the drama mm. and all that kind of stuff. Traditional Barclays, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah. Um and I think that was what that that whole sequence of play is the type of sequence of play that I would associate with Pickford, where he's bouncing everywhere. And I I'm not particularly blaming him for this one, as I said. It's, mm. It was just maybe the punch that you can have a bit of blame on him yeah. for. But I do think it's the type of a uh, type of sequence that I don't know, does it... I don't know, do you see what I mean? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with not, you, yeah, I'm not. I'm not entirely not. sure what happens with a goalkeeper who keeps himself quiet. Yeah, I agree. There's just, there's a lack of um, calmness around him. 
Yeah, that's it, yeah. And when that's you forget that's what you want from a goalkeeper. You want a calm aura because it's it's so chaotic in and around the penalty box anyway. Yeah, like I saw him it just made me think and yeah. I thought I saw him make a save the other day, I think it was. It was a great save. But he, he gets up and screams at everyone I've seen it. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. I get, think it was against West Ham, wasn't it? Yeah, just come on, get yeah. back on your line, mate. Yeah, I, just, I don't see the need for it. It's 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 too old school spotlight. Um, as I said, traditional Barclays where the ball's just constantly up in the air and crazy things happen. Mm. The, the game is more. It seems now are generally more focused on taking care of the one percent, mm. not leaving things up to variance. Not leaving things up to the elements of chance. Mm. He like I, f- I feel like I kind of feel like he, he enjoys that sort of thing. He enjoys the whole just the, 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 the madness of the game and fans going crazy and and all stuff like that. No, yeah, I agree. There's a, there is a lack of calmness, and I think as I said, I don't blame him for any of the um, the shots or the shot behind standing behind the line or anything. But I have an issue if people watch the goal back, you'll see that the ball. It's looped very high into the box, and it takes a while to get there. It's coming into the penalty area. A commanding keeper just comes straight out. Because he does think about it, but then he bottles it, goes back in. Commanding keeper just straight out there, in the air, arms, catch it. You know, if anyone comes in the yard, you're going to get a foul. We know what it's like now with VAR. It's, and that's it, game done. Three points yeah. in the bag. But if not that, a punch that at least clears the box... You can't punch it and it stays in the box. See, I was talking about the second there. Oh, so, yeah, okay, the second so. goal. So the first, I agree, and and I'm I'm just conscious of going too too in on him. Yeah, right? no, I agree. Yeah, because this is probably just one of the moments, isn't it? But no, no, I think you're right. But I'm trying, to, I'm pl- trying to play devil's advocate, I suppose, on the punch and and be like, you know, but the um, is actual when he come. If you watch the goal back, the the free kick comes in. It's looped. It takes a while to get there. And he, he goes to come out, ends up going back in, and it's it's ultimately go beat the mayhem in shoes. Are you bringing it up now? Yeah, I've got yeah. it up now. I mean, I'm going to commentate. One, once the mayhem doesn't ensue, that's just uh, so. Look, he goes to come there. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he leaves a six yard area. He gets that far out, but then proceeds to stay. <laughs> So yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, w- once once a shot comes in and bounces off the inside of the post, every single player virtually is inside the box there. Yeah, anything can happen there. I mean, that's just that's just madness. Um, whether whether you should let it get to that as a team is a different question entirely. But I do think for that goal specifically, it's it's unreasonable to blame him. Yeah, personally. Go do me a favor. Go back while we got up there and let. What's your opinion on them coming out for, to collect this ball here? So, for those who can't watch, I apologize. So it's taken short. It's looped in now and plenty of height on it. Now, um, yeah, I, if that lands on the corner of a six-yard box, there, a goalkeeper with what two seconds maybe to run to come out and collect that. Yeah, I actually think he can get that. You know, he could get that easily. Yeah. As I said, he catches that, and it's. I I personally think anyway that the whole eighteen yard box is the goalkeeper's, yeah. not, not the six yard. I so, yeah, if a ball's fizzed, I I have no issue with the keeper saying, "No, I'm going to stay in my six yard box in case I misjudge it." But when it's looped like that, I mean, he takes it, he, he takes that down on the edge of the six yard box there yeah. as a touch. But we uh, we won't stay on Pickford because um, we might. Uh, I feel we might be talking about him again shortly. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast. I want to finish on some positives. So, Calvert-Lewin now into double figures in terms of league goals. Um, He's become a a legitimate top striker now in the Premier League, isn't he? More than just a young, he's becoming like a legitimate good striker. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to see, you know, what he's going to become, to be honest, because this does seem to be one of those periods where a player comes of age mm. um, and develops himself to the extent that he becomes established. And I think I'm most interested to see how he does next season, to be honest. Yeah. Because next season he starts the campaign as Everton's number nine fixed. Mm. No, not just a shirt number. Yeah. Um, starting, no, no one he's going to start predominantly every single match. And he'd be going into the season with a level of... 
almost self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? And, yeah. and and above all, I mean, I can't think of many positions on the pitch that that demand confidence like a striking position. So I, d- I do think it's interesting to see how he's going to develop. And, yeah. you know, in- including the man alongside him, I suppose. Yeah, I was just about to go on. So just that quickly on Calvert-Lewin. Um, would you... <laughs> I don't know, I'm not putting pressure on because I don't really care about this stuff, but I'm just putting it out there. Would you put him down at least within a shout of going to the Euros this year? I probably would, I think, yeah. Um, especially considering Rashford's Sukhanoch, Kane's Sukhanoch. And I think Calvert-Lewin's the type of striker that, you know, he's quite adaptable. He, he, he would be useful to virtually every Premier League team. Mm. He's not one of those, is he, that's a specific type. He could play, he could lead the line for Liverpool. He could lead the line for City. Mm. In terms of his, his work off the ball, at yeah. least, certainly. Yeah. Um, obviously, I suppose his possession work would need a bit of work for those. Of course, yeah, for those for, sides. For those sides, yeah. But he's the type of player that, I mean, he, even if he was to come, as a bench option mm. to be brought on on the 75th minute for Kane when England have a lead. He's the, he's a dream to bring on yeah. f- simply because of his work rate, his ability to cover ground. Running run behind the fences, down the flanks, you know, making yeah. moves into the flanks. He seems to have a real engine on him as well. He never seems yeah, tired. He is, yeah. He's a, he is. He's, his athletic. stamina is unbelievable. Um, but we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll go on to Moise Keane because finally, Josh... He scored. He scored his first Everton goal. So the celebration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He saw. Yeah, yeah. the first time we turned at the Gladys Street. But it was a, you've, you've, you, it was a good goal, wasn't it? it was, I mean, it was a good finish. Yeah, it was. He took a few shots during the game. I think as well. I think. It's yeah. Good. Well, I'm just about to read through because it felt like a real um, standout moment in his Everton career, where it kind of felt like he's arrived and he's putting in the performance to. Well, worthy of a goal, but but oh, cool. what I said a couple of weeks ago, you, you need to use that now for me. Yeah. So even if in the next match he's got a fully fit squad, for me Keane has to start. Yeah, I agree. and Richarlison maybe then starts on the wing. Yeah, I agree. But, but with a player that age, who's obviously took a bit of an early knock, keep him in the side now. See if he can do it again. See if he can build himself back up. Well, he's he's clearly at, specifically at that age. It's a confidence thing, isn't it? And he, he was high on confidence. He felt like he was from the kickoff, to be honest. But obviously, with the goals, well helped, and he scored his, his goal uh, in the first half. He had three shots; all three hit the target, which is good. Um, but all three inside the box, out of insist. Uh, it won't say. I don't think. Click the XG. So yeah, well, one was outside. One, but you know what? I remember that shot, the one from outside. Really good hit. Oh, yeah, he, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah bottom he, left corner. Yeah, drove well yeah. and uh, put, forced the save out the keeper. Um, yeah, he attempted six dribbles. Okay, only two come off, but he was a handful. Uh, he won three fouls as well, which highlights just how, how difficult Newcastle were finding to to kind of um, control him. And he just he just seemed like a, three progressive runs. You know, he was... He was good on the ball as well. He just had a really good game. He was he was busy. He was strong, powerful. He was a genuine goal threat. It was a real standout moment for them. And I can only agree really with what you've just said that Everton have got to build on that now. They've got to keep playing him. You know, if he can, if he can score again on on um, in his in his next match, which is I think Watford two and two, suddenly he starts becoming a bit more of a genuine asset this season. Yeah, that's what I mean. I think. A performance like that can offer an insight to the manager mm. for, you know, how and what to build around next season sort of thing. Mm. If he can see that Calvert-Lewin and Keane work off each other so well, mm. that then means next season, maybe Richarlison plays on the right. You know, maybe Everton adjust their transfer spending accordingly because they've got that player. You know, mm. it's things like that. So I think Ancelotti just week, week to week will be gaining an understanding of the players he can build around, the players he can source, the players that are worth... Uh, given time, things like that, and I think that performance showed that Keane's one. Does it? It. I feel like it does change your kind of transfer aspirations. I suppose when, like at the start of the season, say you were a month in, and it be, it dawned on people that Keane wasn't pot- potentially at the level to succeed in the Premier League. He wasn't fit enough, or he couldn't adapt as quick as he'd hoped. Calvert Lewin obviously hadn't proven himself to be the striker that he is at the moment. 
you know, straight away you would have been thinking January, Everton are going to have to buy a forward. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Whereas now you think you've got Calvert-Lewin, uh, Richarlison who plays up front and does fantastic there, but he can play anywhere. And now if Keane can put two, three goals together over the next five games, suddenly it it becomes less of a priority and you're not... Uh, almost forced into a corner, are you, in terms of having to go and spend a, a lump sum to try and bring a forward in? Yeah, that's it. And that's, that's the perks of, you know, being patient mm. and giving players time sort of thing. Like, obviously, there's there's a tendency to go into the January window to to fix short-term problems and mm. things like that and get in temporary solutions. But sometimes those problems, you know, an- answers come out of nowhere. Yeah. And players like Calvert-Lewin come of age, Keane starts to step up and things like that. Mm. Liverpool had it with Divacarigi. We tried to sell Divacarigi in the summer before, I think, or something like that. Mm. Um, yeah, he was yeah, a bit he, of a he stock, up, wasn't he, at one point? Yeah, you just weren't getting the side. For, the, for that season, I think, actually, when he scored against Everton, um, I think he started the first something like five games, mm. not even in the 18-man squad wow. for the Premier League. Um, but because, we, because Liverpool didn't sign a real rotation, you know, backup player for the front line. He mm. eventually got a chance, took it, took his next one, took his next one. And now he's a, a fairly solid, fairly respectable backup option for Liverpool's team. And I think that's that's just an, another type of thing that, that that thing does tend to happen if, if you're patient with players and if you don't just see a gap in your squad and immediately dive on and think, who've we got to buy them quickly? Mm. I think you can, you can give some players time to see if they're actually capable of filling these roles yeah spot on um, so in all anyway I think yeah frustrating to drop two points but good results plenty of positives and hopefully that's what people will focus on it's easy to be you know very pessimistic but Everton look to be going in the right direction um, and fingers crossed they continues as there is no game to preview this week um, we put out on social media for to ask for if, if anyone had any questions really and we well, actually got a little, <laughs> said to you didn't I it'd be quite embarrassing if nobody asked any questions <laughs> but to be fair there's actually quite a few to the point where we haven't really been able to get through them all um, but me and Josh have took a, uh, took a few each um, would you like me to start or you start Josh um, have you got the same amount each? I think we have, yeah. Um, if not, then. We'll, but we'll just see. I've, yeah. Right, I'll start then. Yeah, okay, mate. Uh, so my first question is from Trevor M. Um, going forward when Richarlison is fit, does he go back on the wing with Keane and Calvert-Lewin up top? Um, Good question. Yeah, I think it's an interesting dynamic and it's obviously a positive one for, for Angelique to have a positive problem. Mm. Um if Keane can can keep that performance level up, I would I would do that. Yeah, mm. I would go with Charleston on one flank, and when everyone's fit, although Bernard played well, I would personally have Iwobi on the opposite flank. But or Bernard, I mean, I'm not too fussed on that at the minute. But I think it would offer an interesting dynamic because Richarlison can obviously play both sides, and compared to Bernard or Iwobi, Richarlison's the bigger goal threat. He's more inclined to dart into the channel, whereas I think Wobie and Bernard are more inclined to drift into a ten space mm. and start linking play with cue passes and things like that. Mm. But I think, say for example, Everton come up against a team where their left back is weak, the opposing team's left back mm. is weak. You can put Richarlison on one flank based on that. Mm. It will be on the opposite flank based on that. Mm. And then if it's another week, it's a different thing and the right back week, switching round again, sort of thing. Like, say, for example, I'm thinking, I mean, West Ham, perfect example. West Ham are a team that always play with the midfield too, always Noble and Rice. Noble's always inclined to press and leave Rice on his own. And as a result, a gap tends to develop behind Noble. So, in a match like that, you would play Richarlison on the right, it will be on the left. And that would allow Iwobi to drift into the space behind Noble mm. to receive passes. Mm. Mm. So I think it's an interesting little dynamic, tactical dynamic that, that Angelotti's got there in terms of having that front two and being able to use Richarlison on whatever flank he deems is the most vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the benefit of Richarlison being so versatile, isn't it? Without yeah, top uh, losing player, yeah. any of his um, ability. Yeah, interesting. 
Um, I've I've got one from Matthew Barry, who's uh, oh, actually been very supportive of the show from the start, so appreciate that, mate. Um, he said after Pickford's two mistakes last night, debatable, uh, where does he rank in mistakes leading to goals versus the other Premier League keepers? Or is it just in the Newcastle and Liverpool games he becomes an awful liability? It's very interesting that he flags the Newcastle and Liverpool games because they tend to be the most emotionally charged fixtures. Um, so that's kind of reiterating the point that we were talking about earlier. But I've had a quick look on the um, the Premier League website um, and they've got him as making five errors that have led directly to goals over the past season and a half, which is, I believe, the joint highest with Martin Dubravka, who obviously we saw an action at Goodison on, on Tuesday night. So, yeah, it doesn't look good for them. Um, I mean, the only thing I would say is with that data, I don't really know the parameters of it. I don't I don't know, you know, where the mistakes were. or It's very basic what it is on the website, but it's got him as one of the worst anyway. Uh, over the past 18 months. Um, but, you know, we, we talked about some last week as well, saying this, when you compare this um, goals conceded to his XG and when you look at his save percentages as well, um, he's, he, I mean, there's no other way to put it. He's, he's, poor, he's performing at a below average level. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely question marks over them and, those two fixtures that you highlight, Newcastle and Liverpool, they tend to be the emotion, the most emotionally charged games, and that's what he seems to struggle with most. Um, so, yeah, you think we need to see big improvements, otherwise he could be on his way out over the next 12 months. Okay, so, I'm not going to lie, I've just Googled how to pronounce this fella's surname. Is this Marco? Um, this is Marco, and then Pountainian. Pountain. We'll ask him. You know what? He seems to. Be, he's quite, uh, quite, quite a nice fella on Twitter. So we'll, we'll, we'll find out if it was pronounced correct. I'm, good I'm, by the sound no, I'm, be- I'm betting it's not. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's a Finnish surname, um, but it's difficult to pronounce from an English, certainly from a scout's perspective. <laughs> uh, will the midfield setup and player roles change when Gomez and Gabaman are available? How do you see them changing from Delph, Sigurdsson, Schneiderlin, Davis? I think I I personally see Everton's discipline, Everton's discipline, Everton's midfield remaining mostly disciplined for the most part, Mm. and that's simply because of the players around that midfield and the players that are currently contacted the club in central midfield. So if you've got fullbacks as offensive as Dean, you know, Sadibi, even Coleman, Baines, they're offensive fullbacks. Um, and then you've got wide midfielders who are inclined to go forward and cut inside. And you've got centre-forwards who are obviously very active at, at the top end of the field. At the end of the day, you need balance somewhere. You need a player who's going to you know, focus on what's going to happen when the ball is lost. A player who's going to keep balance. A player who's going to keep the team compact and that sort of thing. So I think, I think regardless, Everton's centre-midfield players, whether it's Gomez or Gabamon or the current lads... I think they'll all perform roles that are quite quite risk averse. Um, as I said, discipline, just staying behind the ball mostly, um, and executing movements that are like predominantly sideways rather than making box to box runs into the into the penalty area. Um, yeah, that would be my take on that. I think. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd, I'd probably agree to be honest. Um, question from Follow Everton. Um, who, well, fairly goes in on the specifically the second goal, saying the uh, that second goal is horrifying. It was all desperate and last ditch. All the composure and control, authority over Newcastle that we had throughout the game went out the window. What do you put it down to? Is it mentality, tactics, or players simply not being good enough? Um, certainly, out of those three options, it's it's mentality for me. As I said, if you if you if you watch the whole sequence from the restart up until the goal, there's a real fear factor within within Everton, uh, within Everton's defence, within the players. There's a lack of composure. I think that f- even though they conceded the first with a, a minute or two to go, I think there was 
with with some composure, the clock could have been ran down quite easily there. Um, but it wasn't. It was all manic and panic and just hoping that the game ends. Um, yeah, bad decision making right from the restart. And I think that's what it comes down to. Um, over the next few months, Ancelotti really needs to focus on just building the mentality somehow of these players. Otherwise, we're going to have to recruit heavily in the, in the summer for players who just have a little bit more composure. And I think that's what it comes down to. Um. Yeah, have I, have, I, have I got one more question? I was just looking at it because of just looking back at the second goal here. Yeah. Because just curious as to whether Everton's line from their actual free kick was too deep, because it seemed as though the ball was very easily placed into the penalty box. But why well, actually? But if you look at it, whether you think it's too deep or not, look how unorganized it is. So you'd have and you take a short as well. To be yeah. fair, you have half pushing out, half dropping. It's just a mess. Yeah, I'm sick of looking at this goal, mate. <laughs> I know. I'm just trying to work out what happened because it is chaos. I think we uh, we have one more question, but I should have signed it to you. I've signed it to me, so I'll just we'll we'll do it between us. But um, the, I mean, it's one of them. It's 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 one that we don't really know the answer to. Uh, Gareth Lasser said, "Why haven't so bad set set pieces?" Um, in truth, I don't know. Um, Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've had a, I have had a quick look, and it's, it's hard to answer. You know, people who follow me on Twitter probably noticed I had a piece out recently about um, Ancelotti's brought in uh, zonal marking again, but it is different to the setup that uh, Marco Silva had. It looks to be a lot better, frankly. It seems to be a lot more secure. Um, but I think some some of it just comes down to a lack of control. You know that. The players aren't assured them in themselves from set from set pieces. The keeper doesn't command very well. Um, and interestingly, what I did notice, okay, centre backs aren't the only responsibility from set pieces, but Evans centre backs don't seem to be great in the air. I, I think that's a big thing. Yeah, to be honest, related to this. Well, if I, I actually got some, num- I've actually got some numbers on it. So there's 75 centre backs who have played over 500 league minutes this season, and of those 75, I was just going to get a, a, oh, sim- a, it, yeah. a similar thing. Yeah, come on. Well, I was going to say of those 75, Mean and Holgate don't rank inside the top 40. The pair of them are somewhere between 45th and 60th in terms of aerial dual success rate. Yeah. What was the set piece? What was what was it like last season? Conceding set pieces, Bad. was he? Yeah, it was the high, it was the highest return in the Premier League. Okay, um, and that well, all of that was we we fell down to zonal marking from Silver's system, um, and there was aspects of it again. The reason I asked that is because Kate Zuma is a player that shows up slightly better. Last season he was about the about fifteenth mm. in the league for aerial dual success. Uh, this season he's doing even he's even better than that. But isn't he one behind Van Dijk? Yeah, well Van Dijk's an, an interesting point to be honest because I obviously support Liverpool and we, we we had similar issues. I mean, a lot of ours was from second balls to be honest, but we have, we have conceded very few since getting Van Dijk in. And mm. if you do have that aerially aerially dominant player. Um, you do tend to concede very few of these, like even that ball, that late second goal that Newcastle scored. For me, Van Dijk puts his head right on that and just gets mm-hmm. rid. I, yeah. I, I can't really understand why why Yeri Mean isn't that figure to be honest, because I think he's six foot five, is he? Yeah, well, six foot six. Yeah, he's he's big and he should be a, an early dominant figure. Yeah, and when people bought him, well, I think he was bought to be that to be an offensive threat as well, and he's he's neither at the moment. I noticed, you know what? Let's before we round the pod up, because I think this would be interesting for listeners or watchers. Last I checked, right? Um, Yerry Mina ranked inside like the top three for headed efforts on goal this season. Um, let's have a look because he still hasn't scored. Um, per 90. Yeah, so Yerry Mina has had 18 shots, headed shots on on goal this season more than any other Premier League player in the division and he's still yet to convert one yeah 
which it, it, and it, that that for me comes down to technique. I've watched some of them back, and his head and technique is poor. He missed a big chance actually uh, yesterday. People might might remember it. He had a good chance to nod one home, and he didn't. Um, so but, yeah. But the thing is, if that's the case, he could almost be used as almost a distraction or a, or like an obstacle because mm. I think. Up opposing teams would be naturally inclined to look at Mina and determine him as the main threat. Yeah. But if he's not really that good, he could go up into the penalty box as almost a decoy. Yeah. With a view to instead finding the head of Vichalison or something like that. I've seen teams do this. Yeah. Um yeah, you're spot on. Um one final question anyway, and then we will we'll wrap it up. Um Jack McGovern. He's a good, good, good friend of mine, actually. Um, he's a wall, but he's a nice lad. Now, I'm only messing. That doesn't bother me in the slightest, but yeah, for some reason, he, he gets wound up by it, so we take the mick. Um, <laughs> yeah, he um, he said it, it, it'd be interesting to know who attempts the most crosses in the division, um, team-wise, which so, will be because Everton do seem to take a lot of crosses throughout the game. Yeah, my answer would be Everton, to be honest. I mean, the the, the official answer is Manchester City, mm. but that's with a lot more of the ball. So I think if it was pay possession, I think it would be Everton. City average 21.7 crosses per 90 per match. Um, Liverpool, 19.9, and then Everton in third on 17.2. Mm. But as I said, those two teams at the top, they tend to see a lot more of the ball, so... They're not crossing as frequently as Everton seems to be with with less possession. Uh, it's also interesting to, to note that Everton seems to favour crossing from the right rather than the left. So See, that would surprise a few people, I think. It surprises me because Dean's considered one of Everton's main kind of um, threats from crosses, but clearly it's... No, that's the team have apparently hit 50 more crosses. From the um, from the right side compared to the left. Has it got who's, who's done the most? Is it Sadibi, is it? It's Lucas Dean's hit 107 in total from the left. And from the right, Sadibi's at 46. Mm, yeah. So Lucas Dean's way out in front there on 100 and whatever that was, 107. But he's obviously the only person doing it then mm. from the left. Whereas plenty of, like Walcott's hitting a few, Coleman's hit a few, Richarlison, Sigurdsson. Some more variety from it will be. But on the left, yeah, it just seems to be Dean on his own, just putting in plenty. <laughs> Interesting. Um, brilliant. Well, yeah, sorry we couldn't get any more of them, but um, yeah, thanks for the questions that you did and any that we didn't address, we'll maybe try and address in a, in a later show. But thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week to look ahead to um, Watford, which... Looks like it could be a tougher game than it might have looked a month ago, but um, maybe one Everton can still win. Until then, Josh, thank you very much. Thanks, mate. Nice one. All right. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.